Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! You know, the amount of dancing that we do in our chairs uh, on this show, it, it should be like the theme of the show by now. It, it kind of is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's I how I dance. I dance more. I'm a butt dancer. Also, mm-hmm. Yeah. Bev, have you ever done bed dancing? Because that's, that's the best. Oh. And I, I just um, I'm going to need you to clarify <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. I speaking literally about. just mean <laughs> dancing, but in bed. We know she did one time, at least. <laughs> the proof that's, of that is probably upstairs watching a TV show or something. That's She's not. playing Roblox. <laughs> See? That's not what I was talking about. No. <clears throat> no. I like to do bed sleeping. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> Uh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We got a good one for you. I have 24 pages of notes. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, man. But you know what? It's it's is the uh, the Halloween season. OK, this is October 5th or what? 6th or whatever it is. And uh, today's show is all about the origins of the Haunted Mansion. Now, it is very different from the history of the Haunted Mansion, which Terrence did several years ago or whatever. And it's also very different from the uh, first original idea for the Disneyland uh, Haunted Mansion, which okay. was a boat ride. Okay. It's different from these two things. Sure. This is yet another origin you've story. Gone, you've gone into the weeds. I have a, gone into the weeds, man. Yet yes. another iteration of us trying to make a show out of the Haunted Mansion <laughs> is what you're well, saying. Yes, number one. But it's really cool. It's cool information, so it's sort of like the history, but it's very detailed. Uh, and I thought it was pretty fascinating stuff, so I thought, you know what, let me save this for October. We have this show, and then I think Bev reminded me today, next week is our spooky story show. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm totally prepared oh, for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after writing this, I'm like, good lord. Yeah. I, I w- thought of a story. Me it's too. I actually have an outline. <laughs> I just haven't written it. Mm, well, yeah, I, me, I mean, mine's mine's typed up. And <laughs> like, I put it in a binder, and it's, it's uh, m- what's it called? Matted? <laughs> uh, Mounted? Ma- no. No. Uh, where you put where you like it's bound bound madden uh, thinking bound baby Man. wow look well, at you and dude. you guys terrence is gonna come too he is going to do a story he has does, told told does me he know several i'm times. on this show now he does <laughs> he does i think okay I you can dress know. up you can dress up like him for halloween eric and then it'll be just the same you guys should just fight. There, there can only be four people on the show. So have a guitar off. Just have a fight. Like dueling banjos, but have guitars. have a guitar off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Yeah. But only Halloween songs. Cool. I don't know any of those. I was actually going to say only like 
<laughs> Only thriller. Random, old, old, old worship songs that nobody listens to anymore. <laughs> I know those. Yeah. I know you do. Speaking of old Halloween songs, you know, going through like Spotify and just looking for like, you know, Halloween, there's a bunch of playlists or whatever. Like one is vintage Halloween. Yeah. It's like all these really kind of corny songs from the 20s and 30s. But I found one the other day. I think it's called like Lo-Fi Halloween. And it's pretty sick, dude. Should I? Is it hi-fi? It's well, I don't know about that. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I just want to play. Let me see if I can play something for you real quick. The only problem with it is there's only a few songs on it. So it's a pretty just, short playlist. Just going to say, do they play the Monster Mash eight times? <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's one thing I cannot get out of with like all these other playlists because it's literally monster mash and I saw a one eyed one horn flying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Like, dude, I can't, I can't do it with you. I just can't. What's that, can't that, that one you. song about, uh, with the mirror, um, and it has Michael Jackson in it, but it's not a Michael Jackson song. Uh, Somebody's it always feels me. like somebody's yeah. watching me. That's not a Michael Jackson song. No, it, it he is on the song. No, it's, it's Rockwell. Yeah, it's Rockwell. Oh. All right, so here's the playlist. But listen <laughs> to this. Just listen to this, please. It's coming. This is every morning in our house. Oh, yeah. Not always just Halloween, but just <laughs> lo-fi. I don't even know what that means. I kind of love it. You should ask this guy, though, because he's the lo-fi dude. That's right. I thought that was pretty sick. And then uh, this one was pretty good, too. Let's see if I can find it. All these are pretty good. Like, they're not necessarily Halloween, like, you know, cover songs or whatever, but they're just sort of like spooky vibey stuff. But um, I mean, there's 60 songs. I mean, there's not that many songs. You're crazy. It feels like I hear that thriller song all the time. Sleepless. Well, anyway, whatever. Who cares? Listen to the playlist. It's good. It's a good playlist. You still want to look for it? Well, yeah, of course. I have to. It's my <laughs> it's my mental disease. I feel like it's gone. Nah, it's there somewhere. I just, I just never even knew the name of it. I'll look. Hmm. And then uh, next time I can bore everybody with, with me finding it. <laughs> um. Okay, everybody. Before we get into the show, I want to thank our, our official travel partner, Concy Ears. If you want to go to the park, to Disneyland specifically... With all of this information that I'm about to feed you right now and annoy every single person in line with all the facts, you can be that guy or that girl or that person, hit up concierge, listen to the show, hit up concierge, book, have them book all of your stuff, and then you can just go. You don't have to worry about anything because my problem is I've learned so much stuff that I'm going to forget it. Mm-hmm. Something else is going to enter my brain. It's definitely a one in one out brain that sure. I have. So you don't have to worry about that with concierge. If you learn all the stuff I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. Then you just tell concierge to book your stuff, book your, your airplane oh, ticket, and you book your hotel, them. do your resis, do a genie, whatever. Then you can keep all that information and be that guy and in be line. that guy in line. Well, Check it out. Go. Yeah. It's everyone's dream. Yes, that's right. It's everyone's dream. <laughs> be that guy. Yeah. Everyone wants to be that guy. But hit up concierge.com. They will help you book your Disneyland vacation, Disney World vacation or anywhere else, really. Whatever they are, vacation planners, but they're Disney experts. So check them out. Um, okay, I'm just going to get into the show because I want to get over it. And then 
afterwards, you know, we'll do like the normal plugs and stuff. Okay. What do you think? Sounds good. Yeah, you guys ready? You're anxious. I, well, 25 pages. I've been doing this a long time. I know. I've been months. doing this a long time and uh, pretty excited about it. And so there are a lot of quotes. So my co-hosts here are going to help me. Uh, so if you're listening live, it might be a little choppy, but I'll fix it in editing. And I also have pictures to share with everybody. Ooh. Yeah. Some cool stuff I've never seen before. I'm just, I don't know, I'm pumped for it. Cool. And of course, the number of pictures I have is 13. Yeah. I know, right? How perfect. Did you just stop looking after that? or? Yeah, I have to. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I wish I had like intro music. Mm. The early 1950s were a crazy time for Walt Disney. He was in the early planning stages of one of the boldest projects in his long career, Disneyland. As ideas began to flow, a need became clear for more people who had experience in architecture design to get on board rather than the current slate of animators, stage designers, and idea men. In 1953, Dick Irvine, often considered the grandfather of WED, brought in fellow 20th Century Fox art director Marvin Davis to help Walt solidify the look and layout of Disneyland. Before they even had a location firmly picked out, but sometime after Walt knew that his project would be too big for his original plan of a small park on his Burbank studio lot, Marvin would create drawing after drawing for Walt, trying to shape Walt's ideas into something tangible. Here's Marvin. The first scheme you had, Walt would completely tear apart. Eventually, you'd come up with something better. He wanted to see every idea that you could possibly have before he settled on something. Davis had a hand in the foundational design and feel of Walt's new park, including Main Street, the hub design itself, Sleeping Beauty Castle, and New Orleans Square. It was Davis that really helped Walt think of the attractions within Disneyland as rides and experiences rather than just something to go and do. Marty Sklar once said of Davis, Marvin was a bulldog. He pushed things and kept pushing them until everyone, especially him, was completely satisfied with them. He was just extremely thorough and professional. Determined was the right, the right word for Marvin. It took him 69 versions or more of the Disneyland master plan. Oh. Before Walt said, okay, it was a difficult situation. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> In addition to the design and layout of the park, Marvin Davis also contributed ideas for attractions that Walt might find interesting. One of which was a mysterious old house on a hill set just off Main Street, located at a dead end, crooked and crumbling side street, which dropped guests off at the top of a hill overlooking a small Midwestern town. Harper Goff took the idea and came back with artwork depicting a rundown Victorian house on a hill overlooking an overgrown cemetery and a quaint small town church. I have a picture of That's that. Cool. It sounds scary. So this drawing is called Church, Graveyard and Haunted House. And it's literally like, um, I don't know, any Western that you might see from like the mid 1850s on. I mean, I, that's the Western, right? But like that classic, very small wooden church with the steeple and. You know, a graveyard. It might look like something out of a Red Dead Redemption, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And then up on the hill, there's this big mansion. That looks like the the house from. Um, oh my god, I'm blanking. The shower, shower scene. Psycho. Yes, Psycho. Psycho. <laughs> Eventually, the haunted house was put on the back burner as other projects took hold, and so Disneyland opened in July of 1955 with zero ghosts. Oh. That we know of, I guess. Fair. 
After the success of Waltz Park, an expansion was soon deemed necessary as early as 1956. In addition to other ideas, the rotting old haunted house concept was brought back to life, so to speak, only this time, instead of being located off of Main Street, the idea was pushed back into the depths of the park, into the southwestern corner of Frontierland. This area was then called Magnolia Park, and at the time was one of the homes of the original Disneyland bandstand. Kind of a rant coming up here, but it's all cool information and I don't really know what else to do with it, but blurt it out so I can feel like a complete boy. Now I know how Jimmy feels sometimes. <laughs> ah. Originally, the bandstand and gazebo was located on Main Street, pretty much where the big Halloween pumpkin and Christmas tree stand each year. And I have a picture of that, too. Now, these most of these pictures, if not all of them, uh, have come from uh, our friend Dave at Dave Land Web. So here's a picture uh, before oh, open, okay. right, of the uh, Main Street. So probably shooting from the train station across the um, Esplanade, not Esplanade, but the, you know, opening right there to the shops, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a, it's a big gazebo and a bunch of dirt and, you know, whatever. I thought that was, you know, it's pretty neat. Yeah. This was soon moved because the bandstand blocked the castle when guests would enter the park. And Walt wanted mm -hmm. that view to be open. So in 1956, the bandstand was moved next to the castle for a bit. Awkward. I know, right? <laughs> there it is next to the castle. <laughs> oh, terrible. no, that's bad. <laughs> Love the paint scheme. Yeah, I know, right? It's very good. I mean, just temporarily, I suppose. But like, what's fascinating is look at all those, uh, you know, the umbrellas by the benches. Oh, yeah. Used to really care about people back then. So this is know. over where where the little fantasy fair there thing is, now, is now, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then it was relocated next to the Adventureland area in um, an area called Magnolia Park. This area was between the Jungle Cruise and the Chicken Plantation Restaurant. And if you don't know what that is, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's this. Here's oh. a pic. Here's a pic. Well, it's a chicken plantation restaurant. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I think that's shooting across from it. But this is um, I, that's I, Davy Crockett, right? I think so. I cannot. Orient yeah, this is here. the this is the chicken plantation. So like over on the uh, over on the right hand side would be the start of New Orleans Square. New Orleans Square. Or this, okay. or, or so like, no, on the left side would be the start of New Orleans Square. So the chicken, here, let me finish. Okay. It, maybe, maybe I picked a, a bad photo to share. Yeah, I did. But that's all right. Whatever. Uh, the chicken plantation restaurant, which was eventually cleared out and replaced with New Orleans Square. Oh, okay. So the chicken plantation restaurant was gone sometime in the early 60s. They raised, they re raised it, raised, whatever. They demolished it, leveled it. And put New Orleans Square there. So I think oh, this wow. picture right here is sort of looking out in the area that is now New Orleans Square. Oh, wild. Yeah, because I think over here on the right, that's the dock for... Okay, to get across to... to get across to Tom Sawyer. I see. Look so at how... Lo like, I know this is a dumb thing to point out, but like, look how easily accessible the water is. You could just yes. cannonball into that, <laughs> into the rivers of America. I mean, it's like a little pond. Like, it's you like, could, yeah, you it's, put your feet in there easy. It is right there yeah absolutely it's really cool man uh the bandstand sat here in magnolia park which i'd never heard of before yeah, by the I've way never, heard, never heard of magnolia park uh sat there until the jungle cruise expansion of 1962 meant that it had to go once more now i'm not super clear on the layout of the park back then and i don't know why the jungle cruise expansion affected this bandstand specifically but i think it had to do with a larger revamp of adventureland rather than just the jungle cruise but 
at any rate, the bandstand was donated to the city of Anaheim, who then gave it to a place called Rogers Gardens, a community center, a community garden center and resource for the people of Orange County. It's still standing as a gazebo, and you can go visit it to this day at their location in Corona Del Mar. No, oh, I like that. Yeah, interesting. How right? big is it? It's not very big. I'll, I'll, I got another picture of it. Uh, anyway, in 1956, it made sense to develop Magnolia Park into something because there were still big piles of dirt all over the place, even after the bandstand was moved there. Wow. Yeah. So here it is. Disneyland Bandstand in Magnolia Park, March 1956, again from Dave Land. Okay. And it's like, there's just dirt. Yeah, there's a lady, a gazebo and dirt. Yeah, it's a gazebo and like a platform and a whole thing. And then just literally a mountains of dirt behind her. It's almost like a, a scale model of the foothills in L.A. or something like that. Yeah, like are they building something there? Eventually it, they will. That, yeah. OK. Is that Holiday Hill where they talk about it, it was literally just the pile of dirt? It or, might be. Eventually <laughs> they kind of grew some grass and teenagers would make out there. It might be. I don't know. Uh, never understood exactly where that is. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, in January and February of 1957, members of WED, now, of course, Walt Disney Imagineering, had done preliminary work on a story involving Captain Gore and Priscilla, central characters who might haunt this proposed haunted house attraction that, again, got uh, you know, sort of re, uh, reinvigorated as uh, Walt knew that he needed to expand here. Disney staff had produced notes on ghosts based on research done in Louisiana and were considering a narration recorded by either James Mason, who started North by Northwest, Lolita, and most recently at the time, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm. Hence the Disney connection. So it's either going to be him or Peter Laurie, who was most famously in the Maltese Falcon, Arsenic and Old Lace, and... 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> so already Walt's going, who are our stars? Let's get them in here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to hear this. Let's go. Stay at a small pool. Right. Yeah. New Orleans had already been selected as a location of the background story for this attraction. Tests on the feasibility of moving groups of 20, 30, and 40 people in a walkthrough style were done at the Walt Disney Studios using the old Zorro television sets, or I guess they weren't old at the time. In March of 1957, Walt Disney had decided to turn over further development of this haunted house to one of his first Imagineers, Ken Anderson. Ken met with Walt and the two talked about what this haunted house was going to be, what Walt thought it should be, and what they could feasibly create together. Later, Ken submitted a written treatment of a working ride concept based entirely off of Walt's ideas from this meeting. And by September of that same year, he showed Walt a sketch of a decrepit, rundown haunted house serving as the main show building. And there it is. There's a sketch. Oh, that's looking more familiar. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. You know, set into a swampy area, Mm -hmm. you know, the gnarled trees. And it's just that classic haunted mansion. It's the haunted mansion. It's the haunted mansion. It's definitely that plantation style house. Mm -hmm. The the four pillars in the front. Right. Two balcony or two levels. Of course, Walt rejected the look at first because he didn't want the building to look run down in his nice, pristine park. And eventually that's just what he did. Right. (laughs) Eventually, Kim's design was used as the show building design, just cleaned up and repaired, you know, as it were. The house Anderson crafted was a combination of an existing house located in Baltimore that he'd found 
in a catalog of Victorian buildings and the imaginary setting of New Orleans that Walt and Marvin Davis were creating. The house that Ken took most of his inspiration from was the Shipley Lidecker House built in Baltimore in 1803 and then demolished in 1967. Ooh, sad. Plus some other bits and bobs. That's what people say. But I'd say over 90% was a Shipley Lidecker house. Now, I have a photo of it. It's the next photo coming up. Tell me that. Tell me how much you think uh, Anderson took from this house for the Haunted Mansion. Are you ready for this? Okay. The whole thing. It's the same house. 100%. It's it's the same exact house. 95%. Right. Here's the sketch. Yeah, no. So you have the four columns, the two levels. You can see the um, the iron work yeah, uh-huh. around. Totally. You got the, the four chimneys, two on either side. You got the tower at the top. You got even the one window on the right side. On the, yeah, on our right yeah, side. It's, it's the same exact exactly house with the, the shutters same. and everything. <laughs> the, the only difference is the Haunted Mansion version is just a little more elongated. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah, it's a little taller. It. But this it's guy's, the, yeah, he sat it's outside and sketched it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Like, wow. Or he like literally put this on like one of those like light projectors and just sketched like copied <laughs> just over it. He's it. Like, yeah, no, this is my idea. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's, it's really great. So this has been this is no longer in existence. Correct. Nineteen sixty seven it got uh, it got bulldozed. Kind of sad. Although I think I would actually be a little freaked out to, to go see it. Like, <laughs> oh, I would no, love it. I, I think it's great. That. But it's interesting because where's, where's uh, the Yeah. Where's the Christmas themed um, like scarecrow with the pumpkin head? Where's that guy? <laughs> uh, that's uh, cropped what out. What time of year was this? We cropped it out. Oh, okay. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, and uh, a lot of this other documentation that I've been looking at, it says like, oh, this house and then there's another house and they took, I can't find any inspiration from any of these houses that's not this. You it is a to, carbon copy. Yes. You don't need another house. Yeah. No. That's, you found it. It's perfect. So we think it's a great house, right? Yeah. Uh, at one point, when this house was built in 1803, apparently the citizens of Baltimore didn't really like it. Uh, one person called the Shipley Latticker house at the time pretentious. No. Uh, another noticed the dazzling ironwork and described the home as the quaintest, the most absurd, and the most picturesque dwelling in Baltimore. On what planet is that quaint? (laughs) Right. It's a mansion. I mean, I've been to Baltimore. This is pretty nice as far as houses go. Well, this is, you know, in 1803, there were probably 100 houses. This was one of them. Wow. You know what I mean? Uh, Ken and Walt had an idea to make this attraction a walkthrough. And the pair had come up with several concepts that eventually had to be dismissed due to technical limitations of the time, like having the guests sign a register at the entrance of the mansion. And then that information would be used by disembodied voices, calling out the names and details of the guests who signed as they were walking through the ride. I guess. Yeah. Uh, And just so, just so we're all clear, everybody, the Shipley Lidecker house and by default, the haunted mansion Uh are both examples of the Greek revival style of architecture. All right. The primary features of Greek revival buildings include, and I still have the picture up so you can, you can look <laughs> columns made of white marble or wood or brick painted to look like marble, typically in the Ionic Doric or Corinthian styles of ancient Greece. I can see those a pediment or triangular structure at the front of the building that is supported by these columns. That's it too. And then also mm-hmm. go back to the haunted mansion. Got four columns. You got the triangle at the top, whatever. 
uh, decorated cornice or molding that projects beyond the top edges of the building, a roofed porch held up by the columns, typically at the front. You got balconies with iron railings at each level, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it's Greek great. revival style. You're welcome again, society. After a weekend trip up to San Jose to visit the Winchester Mystery House to get a feel for how they handled the lines for that walking haunted house tour, Ken realized that Disneyland needed a good story for their own ghost house if they were to get people involved in it. So he returned to L.A. to begin working on a story. I wonder if he came to that because the Winchester Mystery House does have a story or doesn't have a story. I think because it well, Winchester House has a story, but it was probably the most famous haunted house at the time that yeah. you could visit within a, you know, at that time, probably a seven hour drive. But you the know, story is flight. like one sentence long. Well, no, it has more of a lore where, mm. you know, Sarah Winchester was haunted by the ghosts of all of the people that the Winchester oh. rifle killed. And she kept adding on to her house until the day she died. And, you know, there was like mm. those small stairs and the doors to nowhere to confuse the I get there was a lot of okay there's a lot of story I mean you can whittle any story down to one sentence you know what I mean true I guess that's true. <laughs> it's also a terrible movie don't watch it oh it's awful <laughs> so bad. It was, did we watch it I watched it, it I was, watched about 38 minutes of it <laughs> it was gross I didn't like it I was like wow this is uh, very not good mm. the first no. draft of the mansion backstory focused on an old sea captain called Bartholomew Gore who disappeared under mysterious circumstances and guests would be led into the Gore mansion as it was first called by Beauregard, the Butler guests would uh, be loaded onto a moving platform that would lower them into the actual attraction. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the first draft of the, of the mansion backstory, we have a Butler mm-hmm. and a platform that lowers you into the ride. Okay. This servant would be, uh, would then be the walking tour guide pointing out secret passageways, changing portraits, and other kinds of ghostly nonsense. In other versions of this story, the captain was called Gideon Gorlow and was given the nickname of Captain Gore due to his savage reputation on the high seas. I'm sure that he was just, you know, bossing it and, uh, you know, slaying or whatever. (laughs) As the butler gestures to a portrait of the captain, a pair of hairy hands would reach out and grab the butler. And then it would be like a voiceover or something like that. They don't really know what was going on. These are just ideas. That would be called Harry the Arm, by the way, <laughs> which sounds, you know, it does sound kind of cool. It sounds like a, a lot of haunted houses at the time or even now you think of like a, a spooky like haunted house. house. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it really wasn't what the park needed, I guess, because the following month, Ken crafted another version of the history of the mansion. The working title of the attraction had changed to Bloodmere Manor, and the legend then became that the house had been physically moved in its entirety, from a dreary swamp in New Orleans to Disneyland to be the cornerstone of Walt's new land, New Orleans Square. Here's Ken describing the history. The brief quote from Ken in the book, Haunted Mansion, Imagineering a Disney Classic. Fantastic book. Uh, Ken says, uh, this is the lakeside estate of the unfortunate blood family. Our house had a tragic and bloody history of unlucky owners who died sudden and violent deaths, which resulted in their unhappy ghosts remaining behind to fulfill the uncompleted mission of their lives. We started the work of restoration as soon as it arrived at Disneyland, but strangely enough, the work of each day was destroyed during the night. It mysteriously remains always night within the house. So we recommend you stay close together during your visit, and please, above all, obey your guide's instructions. Yeah, the captain's whole family would come to die in the mansion, hence the ghosts haunting it. But the tale focused on the captain himself and his bride. 
The story has changed over the years, and you can still see some of the design elements that reference this origin story, namely the weather vane in the shape of a ship on the roof and the bride that haunts the attic. While I couldn't find any real proof of this, people do think that Anderson was trying to sort of tie the mansion in with the forthcoming Pirates attraction. Mm. So this is like late 50s, right? So Pirates is probably on the drawing board, whatever. It would make sense. Yeah, it would. And the nautical theme could have also easily just been due to New Orleans having been an, an important sailing and shipping hub, as well as the location for Pirates of the Time. Who, who knows? But mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting theory. Guests were to leave the clean swept and orderly Disneyland proper and walk along pathways lined with moss fatoons magnolias and southern oaks. Vines and tall trees would have shut out much of the sunlight, adding mystery to the area as the visitors passed through wrought iron gates. An unkempt graveyard with statues that seemed to move and unburied bones jutting from the earth would adjoin the pathway leading through the trees. The ghost house would be scarcely visible unless guests were close upon it. Oh. Faces would seem wow. to appear in the upper windows. Yeah, very different, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but vibey. But like, why make this beautiful house if you're going to hide it? The vibes. The, the vibes. vibes, yeah. Right. Walt was all about vibes. He was the original vibes guy. Once inside the house, a guide would assist the guests in proceeding. And then Walt Disney's voice, seeming to hover above them in the entranceway, would talk of the blood family and explain the tragic history of the house itself. And this is part of the script. It says, this is the lakeside estate of the unfortunate blood family. It was built about 1800 in the swampy bayous near New Orleans and was moved here intact because it was such a fine example of early architecture. (laughs) Side note. Greek revival architecture. Okay, sorry. The work of each day was destroyed during the night. The night watchman reported he'd heard eerie screams and seen weird lights. Our house had a tragic and bloody history of unlucky owners who died sudden and violent deaths, which resulted in their unhappy ghosts remaining behind to fulfill the uncompleted mission of their lives. So it's like sort of the same thing, but expanded upon a little bit and then read in Walt's voice. That'd be kind of neat. You know what I mean? Sure. Big question here. Yeah. Eisner comes in. Does he re-record it? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, every CEO uh, should. Chapek should do it, too. No, he definitely <laughs> remixed Walt's voice for sure. Walt would continue assuring us that the house had been made safe for our visit. The guide would describe some of the historic ghosts within the house. He would mention that there was unusual activity among the spirits because a wedding was about to take place with famous ghosts throughout history in attendance. Lovely. Because, of course, why not? (laughs) But again, we're still we haven't really moved on from the wedding theme at all. No. The bride, the way it's like it's they were they were set on that as much as the things have changed. The story has changed. There's still a few key story points that they were sticking together. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, a royal decapitation victim and Boylan's head would have rolled down the stairs towards the group and the ghostly groom chained and manacled would have been all tied up. While still speaking to the group, the guide would definitely avoid Harry the arm, who would grope for him from a sliding panel in the nearby wall. The group of visitors would follow the guide through the seven rooms of the house, viewing manifestations around them as he pointed out the eerie sights and related stories about what was taking place. The guide would vanish through secret panels and reappear in order to address the group again when they arrived at the next scene. This dude was just bouncing all over the place. (laughs) There were various designs for secret panels, Fireplaces, which would slide upward bookcases, which would swing inward since the early floor plan called for rooms and corridors, similar in size and shape to those of an actual mansion. 
Guests walking through would have been encouraged by their guide to pass from room to room through these passages. Imagine that. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. But in Disneyland now, it'd be ruined. I don't know, ma'am. <laughs> the rooms and corridors within this haunted house, as envisioned at the time by Walt and Ken, would have showcased a number of ideas and story elements later discarded as the project evolved towards the ride we're now familiar with. However, as plans developed, the concept of a plot or storyline with defined characters and a detailed context for the ghosts was looked at as being unnecessary. Hmm. Story elements like the lost Disneyland carpenter who was walled up within the house because he tried to restore it and Harry the arm, the insane brute manservant for the old blood family were discarded without a storyline in place. We lost some cool scenes like a bedroom with a murderous four poster bed and other tragic past atrocities of the blood family because out of context, just stuff didn't make much sense. Then we're still digging up stories or still digging up ideas. Walt came up with an idea to have the haunted house set in new England rather than new Orleans, even though the new Orleans part was his idea in the first friggin' place. Um, but he wants it, to know every idea before he makes a decision. He really does. And then shoot them down. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then make you feel sort of good, but not Yeah, uh, much like the one in Disney world is. Instead of having a story involving a sea captain, Walt's house would feature Ichabod Crane and his encounter with the Headless Horseman from the adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad. And I can only imagine it's because, like, there was so much going on. I'm sure Walt was like, what do we have already? Uh, (laughs) Let's do that. What about about that? Well, IP. Get your IP in there. Right. Um, Well, anyway, that's that's a long I don't want to read uh, the arrival of the looking. Oh, yeah. Giving up on looking. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. But what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say they were going, instead of putting the haunted mansion into uh, Walt Disney world, it was, there was a consideration during the early stages for the magic kingdom to do that sleepy hollow ride. Mm. Um, oh. And I literally just listened to this, to an episode of Disney dish with Jim Hill, um, Today, it was this week's episode where he described it. It was basically Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, except you're being chased by the Headless Horseman. Wow. Well, now I am going to look it up for a second. <laughs> this is sort of what it would it would have been like. The clouds will obscure the moon and distant flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder will next be heard. When the sky is darkening, the ghostly apparition of the Headless Horseman will fade into view or appear from behind a distant tree and gallop towards the graveyard and house from right to left foreground. He will disappear behind some trees to the left, but the sound of his horse's approaching hoofbeats will continue to grow louder. Suddenly, he bursts into view into the courtyard just outside the windows and gallops across from left to right, reigning to a noisy halt just out of view below the balcony on our right. His cape is the only part of him we need to see at this last crossing, since the shrubs will obscure the horse. His cape must match in color and value with the previous projected image. (laughs) Next, a bolt of lightning against the sky and a werewolf's howl signaled the appearance of the ghosts rising from the tombs. Stuff that like sounds that. scary as hell. Yeah, I know, it, does. Right? it really does. Yeah. All of this sounds scarier than what we got. Yeah, uh, it would have taken. Well, there's a reason for that. We'll get to that. The arrival of the horseman would have taken place in the graveyard scene and was meant to signal the beginning of a wedding party between Monsieur Boogeyman and Mrs. Vampire. That sounds stupid. <laughs> it, this is Are great. you making up those names or is that legit? <laughs> this is legit. Oh my God. The cons- terrible. The conservatory would then fill with guests of all sizes and shapes, including Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and Great Caesar's ghost. 
So this is definitely old people trying yeah. to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> this would have become Marvel Universe. At, it sounds like Hotel Transylvania threw up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bride, of course, would get cold feet and leave the groom at the altar. And after all the guests would freak out, naturally, while the tour guide led all the human guests outside to New Orleans Square via a secret door in the fireplace. Like, okay, you got to get out. All the monsters are going to fight. <laughs> Eventually, the seat captain theme won out over this mess. And work began on that storyline. So in what, yeah. like two years or so, we should, we're still not into 1960 here. We had more than a few storylines and way more than a few effects in mind. The initial planning of this ride was fast and furious. Our friends at the 21st Amendment Brewery welcomed the warmer weather with the release of their brand new hoppy pilsner, Coaster Pills. With a label that depicts a magical portal into an amusement park of flavors, Coaster Pills has a good time around every turn. Coaster Pills is wonderfully clear and bright with a beautiful straw color and tight white bubbles. It has a snappy flavor with crisp lines and wonderful citrus tropical hoppy flavors and aromas. Plus, at 5.4% ABV, it'll help you coast right through your day like only the 21st Amendment can. Coaster Pills, as well as our summertime favorite Hell or High Watermelon Wheat, are available wherever you find great craft beer. It's like I just did the classic podcast thing where it's like, this thing was creepy. Bam, bam, bam. Happy music. Happy music. Great well, job. At least you knew Thanks, which song was going to play instead of the other ads where it, who knows what what's playing. I got an ad for JC Penny on one of our last episodes. <laughs> I thought they went out of business like five years ago. <laughs> no, no, there's JC Penny. JC Penny is still clinging on by its fingertips. Are they? Yeah. By 1959, both Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump were upstairs in a studio lot in Burbank crafting illusions and concepts for this ride, even with no solid story in place as of yet. Just general direction. Gracie and Crump were literally inventing new illusions every day, using reflections of figures to improve on these ancient magician's tricks. Here's Rolly. Well, we were making them up on a daily basis. We tried to work out every illusion we could think of where you used a reflection as a gag. We began working on, on, on a little storyline, and I don't remember where the story came from, I don't know whether Ken Anderson came up with the storyline or that Yale made it up. We had an old sea captain and there was a sea captain's room in the mansion. You could look through the window and see the ocean waves breaking outside. He had gone to sea and then drowned. But before he went to sea, he had killed his wife and bricked her up on the wall. That sequence we were showing was when he periodically came home back, came back home to his wife and was wandering through the mansion. We had actually built off stage and reflected into the room a mannequin that was covered with seaweed and an old slicker and raincoat with a lantern in his hand. We put him in a pan of water with mirrors down in the water, and we had a shower above spraying water down onto him when we wanted it. So all of a sudden, you'd see this guy slowly appearing from nothing, and you'd see the water running off of him, and the water would reflect, and you could see it running around on the floor of the room. It was an incredible illusion because then he would slowly disappear, and all the water would be gone, and of course the murdered wife would slowly appear behind the brick wall. Suddenly she would raise her arms and fly out through the wall toward him in the middle of the room. And then she would dis disappear. We actually built all, all of that. We jerry-rigged it out of clothesline and wooden pulleys, spit and glue, but it worked and it was wonderful. <laughs> Sounds awesome. It does. Yeah. And I've heard people talk about that before and it's like, it just doesn't really do any justice unless it's in Rolly's words. I don't know why. 
Yeah, but yeah. It, I mean, it does sound like a really cool idea for an illusion, and to hear their stories that it it kind of worked mm-hmm. it, unless you were moving, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like I, I you know I wonder with that kind of lack of oversight, then they were literally just playing for two years. Mm-hmm. It must have been the best time ever. Oh my god, for sure. Despite the reaction to those being shown this mock-up effect, Walt wanted to move away from the walkthrough idea. The sea captain effect took. Of course he did. Yeah, the sea captain <laughs> effect took two to four minutes to set up and run each time, Ooh. making it fairly impractical even for a walkthrough attraction. Walt already wasn't happy with the walkthrough version of Sleeping Beauty's castle, and he knew that they had to move more than the currently projected forty guests at a time through this attraction. Forty. Set up for 40, 40 cool. people. Imagine, imagine being th- with 39 other freaks in a small room, watching this captain disappear. And you're like, okay, turn to the right, walk forward. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't oh, really, I don't know. that sounded like a small number just cause I'm thinking of it. Now. It is a small number. Oh yeah, yeah. But also it just, it seems weird. I don't know. Mm. Um, other effects such as creaking unsafe floors and collapsing ceilings were abandoned for the same reason. Gone too were simpler ideas for sound effects such as clanking chains, roving voices, howling werewolves, and lengthy narrations by guides and hosts alike, much like this show. As the haunted house exterior became less decrepit, faces in the windows, those unburied bones and animated statues in the graveyards became incompatible. But there are a number of ideas and visual effects present in today's haunted mansion that have hung on and survived all of these purges. The grounds of the estate still include that wrought iron fencing, humorous tombstone epitaphs, and the New Orleans locale first thought of in 1957. Plans had always included an eternal nighttime within the house, ghostly images materializing and floating upward out of sight, musical instruments playing overhead, and ghosts who would have followed you home. (laughs) Today's haunted mansion ride begins with groups who are escorted by a butler into a disguised elevator, hear a narration and a view a gallery of stretching portraits and are shocked to see a ghost hanging by the neck above a transparent ceiling. They descend and walk into hallways with locked forbidden doors. In fact, today's haunted mansion still maintains more than a few key scenes that seem to connect back to the original wedding banquet story. The first synopsis from Anderson described a two storied room with a balcony over a great hall where ghosts would be seen along a huge banquet table with a wedding cake and candles and an invisible ghost playing a pump organ. And of course, one of the haunted mansion's most frightening visions has always been that of a ghostly bride, her eyes brightly glowing from an invisible face, her red heart visibly beating all ideas first thought of by Ken Anderson and Walt Disney. Wow. Now I should bring up that there is some debate amongst the people who care about this sort of thing as to when exactly the haunted mansion concept became a ride and not a walkthrough. Mm hmm. In an interview with Mark Davis uh, in the early 1990s, he mentioned that this idea of a walkthrough was abandoned in the late 50s. And by late 1957, plans included at least some kind of tracked conveyance system, although I'm not sure how solid those plans were. Other people will say that it's only by the grace of the Omnimover system developed for adventures through interspace that the walkthrough was tossed out in favor of a mechanized system. Well, here's Ken Anderson on that point. At that point, people would be collected on the porch of the house and these big double doors would open all by themselves. People would enter and stand in a temporary-looking wheeled transport at the foot of the stairs. This came later and, again, was part of Walt's idea. 
It was in his story that the ghosts would not permit any restoration of the house. Anything done would be destroyed during the night. Only this cart, looking like it was made out of two by fours and painted with primer, was allowed by the spirits. It would have lowered from the entranceway to the basement, then moved on some kind of track throughout the attraction. So it seems that the walkthrough was a fleeting thought, and once Walt saw it in action over at the castle, in a place without such complicated effects as Raleigh and Claude were pitching, he abandoned that concept in the early stages of planning. Oddly enough, the walkthrough idea was fairly popular within WED at the time. Here's Raleigh on that. You know, this is interesting. The 20,000 Leagues exhibit actually out-earned the submarine voyage ride one year. Everybody said, how could that be with the Leeds exhibit being only a 10 cent A ticket? It was because it cost a fortune to maintain the submarines while there was zero maintenance on the Leeds exhibit. Once in a while, they would replace a couple of light bulbs in the exhibit while the goddamn submarine ride cost them a million dollars every year to run. (laughs) (laughs) That's that walk through 20,000 leagues uh, under the sea where it's like you just walk through and you look at the stuff. And you go, okay, that's uh, that's it. You know, that's my that's the thing that out earned the submarine voyage before Nemo ruined it one year. I mean, just one <laughs> yeah. year, but still it was still valid. Yeah. At the same time, Mark Davis was busy figuring out what the inside of the mansion was going to look like. It was up to him to determine the look of the ghosts, the design of the rooms and pretty much every scene that has been popping up in your head since you started this show. It's all thanks to Mark. And here's Mark on how he got started working in the park. Actually, the business people wanted to discontinue animation entirely. This was after we completed 101 Dalmatians around 1959 or 1960. They contended that it took too long, it was too expensive, and so on, and said that Walt should discontinue doing cartoons and animated features. All this time, I'd been working in story off and on. So when Walt was going to discontinue cartoons, he knew my drawings. So he wanted me to work on something for Disneyland. One of them was Nature's Wonderland. Then he wanted me to look at other things, including a pirate show. Mark Davis got involved in working at the parks by Walt himself, and the two had a very good relationship from that point on. He just said, hey, why don't you go down next week and take a look at the park? He'd often go down there and walk around with us. I've done a few things for Disneyland before 1960. They had a pirate ship out there in Fantasyland, the Chicken of the Sea pirate ship. Walt asked me to design a little mermaid figurehead for it. We'd go down there and discuss the work and observe people in the rides. We'd wander around the park and the public would notice him. He enjoyed being recognized, but he was impatient with the demands it made on his time. Right away, he'd say, we'd better go. After about a half day of this, we'd go up to the little apartment he had over the firehouse. We'd have a drink, scotch and water, and talk about (laughs) what was going on. And that would be a relaxing time. Now, I realize this has nothing to do with the Haunted Mansion whatsoever, but it's a cool little quote that I had never really heard before about Walt basically looking for a reason to day drink with a partner. <laughs> basically. <laughs> You've all heard the stories about Mark Davis in Imagineering, right? Where he he demand it, this is a Rolly story. Hmm. Um, I can't remember if you told it on your show, if I heard it from another another show where Mark Davis demanded that his desk be the one closest to Walt's office. Oh, so yeah, that's he and right. would see each other more often. That's right. <laughs> I got to look at my body. Uh, at this point, sometime in pre-1960s Disneyland, work on the mansion was once again put on hold. They had a general idea of a story and an even less solid idea of how to move people through it. 
plus effects that, while stunning to see, were not ready for the thousands of people that Disneyland was seeing at the time. But not for long. Walt had already put the forthcoming New Orleans Square expansion on the park's maps in 1958. And as this new land took hold, the mansion needed to be a part of it. So in 1961, which I also think was 62, I don't know, there's like a debate in my in my reference notes. But uh, anyway, let's call it 61. The show building was constructed with the promise of the actual ride opening in 1963. Now, Walt still had no storyline, no set effects as they were still being worked out. And there was no set path inside for what this attraction was even supposed to look like aside from a house. (laughs) But they knew what the outside looked like. So the show building went ahead. The Haunted Mansion's exterior had to stay within Walt Disney's concept of a clean, well-maintained Southern mansion. And we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you some pictures of the Haunted Mansion under construction. Hang on, everybody. It's ears up. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, back to the show that ignites your dream wish of imaginations and magical color wonderment of forever. Ears up. All right, thanks for hanging on, everybody. All right, we're talking about the Haunted Mansion under construction and how everyone really needed to stick to Walt's idea of it being a clean-looking house, basically. So I found these again on Dave Land Web. Oh, wow. Here's a color picture. I've never seen this. It's the four Greek Revival-style white columns, everybody. Oh, my gosh. With, uh, with the Haunted Mansion basically just uh, a wood-framed house. Like, That's it's just wood. Crazy looking. With like some of the windows inset and the door frame and stuff like that. But it's just, it's like you're driving by any house construction site. Yeah. It's pretty with, wild. But with four pillars. <laughs> but with four, well, yeah, of course. Here's the next one. So this is on the balcony or this is on the back porch, I think, like where the where the line comes through, where you step up from oh. the line onto the porch to then wrap around. Because you're facing the berm where the train sort of is or whatever. Um, and it's just, it's a big pile of dirt. I mean, they, they don't even have the, the walkway or the pathway laid out, just dirt. So it's like the cement of the porch and then there's dirt stepped down. There's saw horses in place. Um, but yeah, it's the construction. It's crazy. I know, right? Yeah. Big piles of dirt. Here's this one. This one blows me away. So this is of the, if you're looking at the front of the mansion, it's the left side, your, your left side. There's like a tree there and there's just a cement mixer. And uh, places staked out for, you know, uh, landscaping and stuff and just dirt everywhere with piles of uh, four uh, two by fours. I mean, do you think they, they must have, but like the public knew what he was building? I think or were so. They, or were they like, why the hell is he building a house? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think so. I don't actually I think that they were announcing it. They had to. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Here's oh, there's picture. a sign. Yeah. I mean, he announced yeah. everything. So so clean yeah it does and you know what to be honest with you it still looks clean it does i mean it's it's not it's not a dirty haunted mansion which i never really thought about until we're talking about it right (laughs) Right. 
So here, to answer your question, sort of, there's a, it's still under construction, but there's a a big map in front of it. I think it sort of explains what it's doing. And it says uh, Disneyland 1962-63. So this was not built in 61. I don't know where I got that number Mm. from, but it's definitely wrong because it's not finished yet. And it says Disneyland 62-63. So Disneyland has definitely gotten a lot more intense with their walls. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. This is just... (laughs) Like looks like little sheetrock or whatever. Little Jimmy can't see over it, but everybody else can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, okay, of course, fate would intervene yet again, and Walt once again stopped all work on the mansion project to work not only on just one but three brand new attractions for the 1964 World's Fair. The fair allowed Walt to produce three new rides without spending much of his own money, since they were all sponsored by corporations. When the team came back from installing the attractions at the fair in New York, most everyone in Imagineering at the time was put back onto the mansion project. What the World's Fair had taught them was that any new attractions that had that went into the park had to be people eaters and able to address the demands of the ever growing crowds in Disneyland while still providing a good show. With Ken Anderson having moved back to the Disney studios when Wed started working on the fair projects, Walt tasked Mark Davis and Claude Coates with filling Ken's shoes. Now, this is when the mansion story and character design finally began to solidify. In a treatment dated July 27th, 1964, Mark Davis whittled the existing story ideas into his own version of the mansion backstory. The lonesome ghost that once led 40 people at a time through his house was replaced with a disembodied ghost host, a spooky narrator to lead us around. Mark's treatment also referenced something called the elongated room, the portrait gallery, and a seance room, among other things. All things that are really key points in the mansion today. While Mark was busy with character design, Claude Coates was in charge of designing the interior environments of the mansion. In 1965, work was once again stopped on the mansion, as Wed's focus was in bringing these rides from the World's Fair back across the country and installing them within Anaheim. Then, somehow, Pirates of the Caribbean was installed, and then Tomorrowland got a redesign ahead of the mansion opening. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe the delays and hesitation on actually setting a story and going with it just kept the mansion as an idea more than a project. But even after the show building was built, things still weren't ready, and we got a whole new ride plus three others from the World's Fair before we got anything real on Haunted Mansion. It's weird. It is weird. Then, the ultimate delay. Walt Disney passed away on December 15th, 1966, and the Haunted Mansion lost its creative driver, and more importantly, the man with the final word on what goes and what stays. Suddenly, the project was in disarray, with no one person really thought of as being in charge. Since Pirates had opened to rave reviews, Dick Irvine, who is now the vice president of WED, thought he could put Mark Davis and Claude Coates back together on the Mansion project, and recreate the magic across the square. However, with the success of Pirates being what it was, each man thought he should be given a bit more power than the other. Hmm. So instead of recreating this amazingly creative collaboration that gave us Pirates of the Caribbean, we had a fractured partnership, culminating in the most basic and most pivotal problem to ever face Walt's haunted house. Should the mansion be scary or funny? Mm, that's tough it it really is like aside from the story you can't if you don't know that fundamental point you can't move on you can't have a story no you just can't mark davis thought that it should be more on the humorous side since ghosts were scary enough as it was 
Sounds like a coward to me, folks. Uh, Claude thought it should lean scary since the word haunted was in the name of the ride and people would be expecting something a bit scary. Ultimately, Mark Davis went out in the end and we got some humor added to the show. Now, this rift also resulted in the obvious split in how the mansion is experienced. The first half of the show is on the more scary side, leaning on the environmental stylings of Claude Coates. Think about the hanging corpse in the elevator room. The hallway with the paintings that change. The set design of that. A coffin with the skeleton trying to get out. Everything is so layered and detailed. And the second half of the ride is sort of more sight gags and character design. Thinking the great hall with the banquet and the seance room and the graveyard. Since many of the Imagineers working on the mansion were basically equals and held similar positions within the company, there was no true haunted mansion team leader. So most of the decisions were made as a group. Dick Irvine ended up handing out different sections of the ride for smaller groups to oversee, which sounds like an interesting solution, but it just ended up leading to the mansion having a more segmented feel between scenes. From boarding the doom buggies to the endless hallway to the attic and then the graveyard, the ride doesn't really flow all that well story-wise and really needed a solid storyline to wrap everything up and make it all make sense. Now, since Mark had been producing mansion art for Walt before he died, he did have some pull as to what went in the ride. And here's Mark again. A lot of these drawings date from 1964 or 1965, and there are some things in here I think that uh, Walt saw and enjoyed. There are a couple drawings here that I know he personally enjoyed enough that when he brought a visitor to my office, he'd say, hey, get those drawings out. Walt was totally enchanted with the stretching portraits, and we built a display so that you could pull the artwork down and demonstrate the action. Walt came into my office one time with Lily Pons, the uh, opera singer, and he said, where are they? Where are those drawings? And I got them out and pulled them down and she loved them. And Walt was laughing the whole time. It's a classic Walt thing. Man. I don't know. I can totally picture that scene happening. In addition to the story and what was to even go on the ride, another point of conflict was what the guest conveyance system was even going to be. They knew a walkthrough was out, but had yet to figure out a great way to get the guests through the ride and still have some of these great effects that Rolly and Yale were working on. Here's Mark again. There really was nothing happening on it. The 64 World's Fair did take time, and then Walt died in 1966, and we didn't get it open until 1969. For about two or three years, it was kind of a dead duck, really. These guys worked on it, but they couldn't sell the idea the way they had it. All that work on a story bogged the mansion down to a point where it just wasn't done. There were continuity problems with people in vehicles or boats, and Walt wouldn't buy it that way. Now, in case you forgot or want to know more, check out our show from August of 2020 titled The Haunted Mansion That Almost Kinda Was, because I talk about how the real original version of this ride was meant to be a boat ride. But I digress. As mentioned earlier, the folks at Disneyland came back from the World's Fair with a fixation on capacity. They wanted each new ride to haul as many people as possible, and the success of Pirates only hardened this focus. Dick Nunes, who was the director of Disneyland Operations, was such a stickler for ride capacity, according to ex Atencio, Imagineers called him Hopalong Capacity because he was always making them think of how they could get the max amount of people through the doors, which meant there was no going back to the walkthrough concept from earlier, and they had to figure out some kind of conveyance soon. But the silver lining in all of these delays and arguments over what the mansion should be or shouldn't be was that in 1967, the Omnimover was ready for use and already perfected for the Adventures Through Inner Space ride over in Tomorrowland. 
Based off of the idea of the People Mover, the Omni Mover was to be the breakthrough the Mansion team needed. Combined with advances in audio animatronics that Wed had made with the new Pirates ride, the Omni Mover enabled the Imagineers to finally commit to a conveyance. Speaking of the People Mover, I read that Walt's idea of the People Mover would connect shops and stores in downtown LA, but only on the, the second story. And that's all the information I have on that. But apparently, I just, I don't know, I thought it was neat. I mean, imagine like going shopping in LA, go to the second store, get on the people mover. That'd be crazy. I don't know, it's weird, right? Doesn't Cincinnati have, I mean, they don't have a people mover, but isn't a chunk of the city of Cincinnati connected through like walkways on the second floor of a, of a bunch of buildings? Mm-hmm. At, at mm-hmm. least I seem to recall that. I've only been to Cincinnati once. I'm not an authority on Cincinnati. Cincinnati, <laughs> I don't know, but St. Louis St. Louis is. Um, okay. St. Paul. It's yeah. to avoid snow. It's the snow. For oh, in, the, in the Midwest, yeah. they have a lot of those yeah. habit trails connecting buildings because of that. Yeah. Because you're not going to be walking on the sidewalk, you know, and it's cool. snowing like that. Cool. Yeah. I Unless you're in Chicago where we don't, I mean, we got trains, but. <laughs> Who doesn't? You know what I mean? Um, as they played with this new technology, they realized that the system actually solved a lot of their problems they seem to be having in selecting which effects and scenes to build into the Honda Mansion. Much of what Rolia and Yale had created depended on the guests being positioned just so. Otherwise, the effect wouldn't look as great. The Omnimovers were able to rotate and pivot, allowing the programmers to position the guests exactly where the Imagineers wanted them to in order for certain effects to work. In many ways, this opened up the door for Wed to really start deciding on how the mansion was going to function as a whole. The Omnimover really sort of saved the Honda Mansion, in my opinion. Mm. Now, there's always been talk of a restaurant next to the mansion. I know when we first learned about this, we're like, whoa, that would be so cool, guys, to eat at the Honda Mansion or whatever, right? And apparently... (laughs) Mark Davis was the brainchild of that because he wanted a place to house some of these effects that couldn't be done in the mansion at the time, or they could only be done if the ride stayed as a walkthrough. If if you stood there for two minutes, then you could this effect would be cool. Otherwise, it just it just didn't work. Uh, here's Mark. You see, Yale Gracie came up with a system which used a canvas framed on a wall. And then with his extraordinary kind of rear projection, it looked like the painting was really changing very slowly. It would go through a number of steps of images. The reason it was not used was because everybody was moving through the place instead of standing still watching the paintings. I wanted to do a restaurant near the Haunted Mansion with low-key lighting. So you'd sit there while the paintings on the walls were changing all around you. These ideas evolved and became the corridor where you now walk past the changing portraits. But it wasn't done very well, really. It's got a kind of on and off action with the flashes of lights and so on. He's right. I mean, those paintings really are just sort of like the lightning flash is the cue for the paintings to change in the hallway of the mansion. That's it. But that well, they've restaurant- got the new one in the queue um, at Disneyland, right? That one, the... You're asking the wrong dude. Uh, well, yeah, go, go to the parks again sometime. Yeah, Bev, you've been. Don't they have a new one? The last time I was there, it was closed. Oh, okay, great. And the time before, I don't remember. Well, even like, aside from the new one, for a long time, it was, it was basically just the same. Isn't this just the um, Club 33 paintings? Yes, that's exactly what I thought too. In the jazz club of the of the club thirty three, now mm. you're in the booth and the paintings come to life and they slowly like move oh, through the thing. Oh yeah, I think it was going to be something like that. But and they're like they look like oil paintings. Like they don't oh, they look, look great. Yeah, like when you when you pointed them out to me and you're like, watch this, and I was like, I like died. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's cool. Crazy. It looks great. With all of these threads of a story that had been woven since the early ni- since the early 1950s. It fell to ex Atencio to assemble them into something resembling a cohesive story. His job was to craft the story while also keeping in mind 
Mark's whimsical ghosts, Claude's sort of creepy and spooky vibes, and having them meld with Walt Rolly Crumps and Yale Gacy's effects. Sounds like a mess, to be honest with you. <laughs> Take all these divergent things and make it cohesive. Also, do it kind of soon. <laughs> it was X who took the scenes Mark and Claude worked on and arranged them in a way that made sense to him, which would be following the layout of an actual mansion itself. We enter the house and walk into the portrait chamber, which is one of the first Mark Davis ideas. Then we move on to the hallway where more Mark Davis arts awaits us with the portraits changing shape right before our eyes and on and on. You might not notice this. And I didn't know this. I learned about this. Someone, you know, uh, when I was doing research for this, I was like, oh, this is cool. The hallway of the, the portrait hallway after you get off the elevator and walk towards the doom buggies is another example of the use of force perspective. As the walls and ceiling designs and wood beams all taper down and down, directing you towards the marble busts ahead that seem to follow us wherever we look. I didn't really realize that they were using force perspective in the hallway, but yeah, it's wow. pretty cool. Yeah. Here's Rolly on that effect. The way that happened is kind of a funny story. Uh-huh. The title of the book and the start of a lot of his stories. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> that was a happy accident. Yale and I were, were building this particular room. And Wed had already begun doing Mr. Lincoln at this point. We happened to get a hold of a vacuum-formed face of Lincoln made of a clear plastic. We fogged it so you couldn't see through it, and we put it in a frame with the framed face looking toward you, like a bas-relief bust on a wall. We had a little 35-millimeter projector behind it, and we were doing something that was a lot of fun at the time. We had a circular transparent disc turned by a clock motor in front of the projector lens. We had melted portions of the disc, and we had sprayed other parts black, and this caused the images on the face to slowly change. As the disc turned in front of the projector, at first you'd see black, then all of a sudden the melted section would come on, and the face would appear all wormy. Then slowly as you got past melted part, the image would become sharp, and the face would appear as a skull. We had this little projection set up with Lincoln's face and everything working for about a month or so. Finally, we were behind the scenes one day for some reason, and Yale said, Look at that, Rolly. And I said, what? And he said, if you walk around behind that face, the eyes follow you. And we knew at that time that the illusion would have to be used in a quarter for it to work properly. Uh, my question before you move on here. Yes. They got a hold of a vacuum form <laughs> of Lincoln. Who stole that from the other project? Uh, Rolly. Tracy or Crump? Rolly, 100%. <laughs> Probably zoomed over there Rolly. on his motorbike, did a couple donuts. Hopped off, did a backflip, picked one up, put it in his satchel, 14 front flips onto his bike, and he was out. <laughs> Nearly all of the characters in the Haunted Mansion are Mark Davis designs. Basically, the entire graveyard scene was done by him. Most everything in the dining room scene, from the duelists to the granny knitting the sweater, Mark did hundreds of drawings and concept sketches, and most were never used. Many carried on through rewrite after rewrite. Here's Mark again. I've always felt, and I think that this is the way Walt thought too, you don't just think of one idea and that's it. You explore everything that you can. Everything that I did, I did a hundred ideas to get one. I don't believe you can sit down with just one idea and do it because then you come up with something dull. Walt would say, Mark, give some thought to this. And that's what I would do. I'd sit down and start producing ideas and I try not to overlook any bits in the process. I remember one story about Walt. Somebody came up to him with something and said, hey, Walt, what do you think about this? And Walt looked at it and said, well, it's awfully hard to choose between one. Jerk. <laughs> the guy was not asking for a choice. He was asking for feedback on what yeah. he did. What well, how, a douche. how wow. am I supposed to choose <laughs> yeah. this? 
or the, you know, it's like, well, I'm not asking you to choose. All jerk. he wanted was a little bit of positive, <laughs> yeah. enforce like yeah. reinforcement. Instead, <laughs> he got punked. Amazing, yeah, basically. Of all the rooms and locations in the haunted mansion, one always struck me as sort of underused. Or at least it used to be. Disneyland just added a bunch of stuff to it. But for decades, the loading area has been so poorly themed. And I finally found out why. In the story and song from the Haunted Mansion record released in 1969, that loading area is referred to as a, quote, limbo of boundless mist and decay. I suppose like a buffer between the ghosts and the real world or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But that's it. A limbo of boundless mist and decay. Not just the room we painted black. Yeah, right. It's just always, it always was weird to me. I was like, what is, there could be any number of things here, but apparently they already had enough trouble figuring out what to do for the friggin' Ryan the first place. <laughs> One of the most memorable, memorable effects in the Haunted Mansion, even to this day, is the singing busts in the graveyard. Uncle Theodore, which is the broken one, bears the face of Thorol Ravenscroft, one of the main voice talents in the mansion. In an interview about that effect, Thorol recalls, now, now I'll embarrass myself with my Thrill Ravenscroft impression. Please do. We recorded the song at length, and then after a couple of months, they called us back in. They made us up like marble busts with pock marks and cracks like a piece of marble. They said we were going to project film on marble caricatures of each of us to bring them to life, and I couldn't believe that. They sat us in chairs and put a kind of comfortable vice on our necks so that we couldn't move our heads comfortable vice by the way, <laughs> right yeah not, not comfort- an uncomfortable one a comfortable vice is like uh you know having one of those big knit blankets around you at all times that's <laughs> a comfortable <laughs> vice they had five cameras on us while we sang the song and we could animate our faces all we wanted then they took me over to my bust it was just white marble and the minute the track came on i could see inside my mouth my <laughs> teeth and my gums I couldn't believe it. It was so weird. (laughs) My mouth, my teeth, and my gums. Oh, no. (laughs) While the design of the inside of the mansion was going on, Imagineers finally figured out how to still have their spooky haunted house look run down, while keeping with Walt's decree that the outside should look pristine. They leaned on the use of the outside-inside illusion often found in dark rides. Guests enter the well-manicured and whitewashed mansion building, pass through rooms and hallways, board the ride vehicles and eventually quote, leave the house through an attic window. Now still inside the attraction, but outside the house, they can view the rundown rear of the haunted mansion from the cemetery rude in an internal night of the ride. This exterior is not the same mansion. It has broken window frames in dead bushes and trees, a crooked loose shingled roof line and lacy iron trim work, which does not match that of the true mansion outside in the sunlight. But this outside inside idea can be found within Peter Pan when the ships fly out over London and in Pirates of the Caribbean. Kind of a neat little thing. Hmm. By 1967, the Haunted Mansion project started to gain real traction within WED. And since the company was already starting to construct Walt Disney World over in Florida or Project X, as it was known, the Imagineers at WED began to build two of everything that was going into the house in Anaheim, with the duplicate set being shipped off to storage until the show building in Orlando was built. In designing the building for Orlando, Claude Coates finally got his chance to make the Haunted Mansion a bit more scary. In transforming the Southern-style house into the Dutch Gothic version in Disney World, he adjusted the scale and details in order to make that mansion look a little more sinister and foreboding. The East Coast version was completed and ready to go a full six months before Disney World even opened. Wow. 
The mansion house itself was constructed in 1963, marking six years from conception to completion. Kind of. The Haunted Mansion, as we know it, wouldn't open until 1969, sitting in the Anaheim sunshine, teasing guests for another six years. I was trying to think of another ride in these modern times that would be the equivalent of what happened here, and I can't really come up with one, because nowadays we'll complain that things aren't done in like two years. Can you imagine seeing a show building sitting out there for six years? You can't go in it, can't do anything about it. If that was a Chape, if Chapek was alive then, and this is a Chapek, Chapek is ruining this, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Tron's getting close, but it was, it's only been three years since they really started it. See? Although people are complaining, well, they already have it in Shanghai. Why did it take so long to build it in Walt Disney World? I don't know. I don't know either. It's almost done. It's fine. Yeah. On August 5th, 1969, days before the opening of the attraction, a memo was sent to Dick Irvine from Marty Sklar, who was concerned that, quote, we have not as yet given this car an appropriate name and I would like to send one to the park as soon as possible. What they're talking about is the Omnimover system. Mm, Okay. Because they were still calling it the Omnimover system. Yeah. A helpful Marty sent along a list with the memo of possible names for the Omnimover that he had collected from some of the other Imagineers. Some of the names listed were Ghostmobile. (laughs) That's what Jeremy called it. Oddly enough, right? (laughs) Uh, Ghost Coach, which I think is just fashion for dead people. (laughs) <laughs> um phantom mobile not good banshee buggy wow well Ooh. i mean at least you have alliteration here's this one that check this actually i'm gonna i'll save a uh, ghostly host mobile it's <laughs> not very that's good a lot. that's yeah. a mouthful this one's sort of my favorite seance conveyance <laughs> like a seance conveyance <laughs> i guess really is really how you would say it. Yeah. I hate that's, so <laughs> that's what we're gonna call it now. i'm gonna get on the conveyance. seance conveyance <laughs> And, of course, Doom Buggy. Of course. And that got uh, widely upvoted, so to speak. As Marty Sklar later explained at the time, California beach surfing culture used a dune buggy as a form of transportation. So it was felt that the name would resonate with young people. I see where they're going with that. But also, like, who's going to argue with the word buggy? Everybody loves the word buggy. I don't know, man. But I love the the qualifier attached to it. Oh, the young kid. The kids will love it. Yeah for the kids the narrator or ghost host merely referred to the ride vehicle as a carriage carrying you to the boundless realm of the supernatural because the name had not yet been locked down in time for the recording by paul freeze i mean it was named for four days three days before the ride opened it was called doom buggy at a midnight press event held on the evening of august 11th from 10 30 p.m to midnight 50 members of the press were given a special press package upon their arrival at the park that included a press ghost pass attached to a small glow in the dark skull. There's a skeleton key, which would be worn throughout the evening. I would love to see one of those. I would love to get my hands (laughs) on one of those. They began the late night by being wined and dined at Club 33. Wow. Wow. And then Disneyland ambassador Sherry Beskos escorted them to the attraction. The mansion officially opened as advertised in the newspapers and the park to all guests the morning of August 12th, 1969. However, today, the Walt Disney Company claims that August 9th was the real opening of the attraction, since that was the first time that a handful of Disneyland guests experienced it. (laughs) Get over yourselves. I don't know, man. Finally, (laughs) the world's greatest ghost house was opened to the well-dressed public of Anaheim with the newly christened Doom Buggies. The Haunted Mansion had 131 ride cars capable of making 180 degree turns left and right, aligning them with whichever effect was triggering at the time. With two guests in every car passing through the ride every three seconds at 1.4 miles per hour, 
It's possible to frighten as many as 2,618 guests per hour. Wow. It may seem longer, but once on board the car, the ride actually lasts six and a half minutes. And the cars travel a track 786 feet long. The eerie expanding room, of course, is a hydraulic elevator, which descends to a depth of 15 feet, carrying as many as 85 people or 12,000 pounds. Whichever comes first, I guess. (laughs) At the time, and for a good while after, there was no ride as detailed as the Haunted Mansion within the walls of Disneyland. Not even Pirates, which is amazingly detailed and can match the depth and the seemingly scattershot approach to the story development that was happening at Haunted Mansion. The mansion was an instant success, spawning lines of eager guests just waiting to be spooked. And here's a final image of, uh, couldn't find more images of like opening day of haunted mansion but oh i mean it's you know it's just uh today it just looks like today yeah exactly (laughs) everything is exactly the same it's just people are at the front gates in in you know and beyond there's wall-to-wall people yeah they're just dressed better than we are they're just dressed (laughs) so much better i don't know kind of this lady's in a tank top and very short shorts so the only smart person there i know right (laughs) Uh, lady behind her looked like she was from the victorian era (laughs) she's a ghost she had a bonnet Yeah. Uh, Just one week after the mansion opened, Disneyland set a one-day attendance record on August 16th of 82,516 guests eager to enjoy the new experience. In general, at the time, weekly attendance at the park was roughly 30,000 people. Man, that that line must have sucked. (laughs) That increased to approximately 50,000 on the weekends. But it also created something else. Merchandise. Mm. Disneyland celebrated the attraction with various promotions, souvenirs, and mementos, including the co-branded Carnation Ice Cream Sundae. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. I like it. Which came complete with a little red plastic spoon picturing the heads of the three hitchhiking ghosts and the phrase, visit the haunted mansion, etched into the handle. It was only available during the early months the attraction was open, and it was advertised by large silkscreen posters throughout the park. There were haunted mansion-themed toy sets, kinetic models that were powered by rubber bands, Escape from the Crypt and the Vampire's Midnight Madness. In that case, the Executioner's shovel chops down on prisoners' chains, causing a skeleton in the coffin to rise in protest. Two other scenes, called Play It Again Sam and Grave Robber's Reward, completed the series, and all of the boxes are dated from 1974. They have stylized Disneyland Haunted Mansion drawings on the cover of the box and a Walt Disney World Mansion illustration on the side. None of the models are specific to scenes in the attraction, but kind of neat, though. There's like mm-hmm. all these weird figurines and toys and stuff like that that are just like gory, ghoulish scenes. But nothing is there's nothing. <laughs> I don't know whatever. an attraction with a background as complicated as this one. There are undoubtedly many more stories to tell, and perhaps we'll get to them one day. Until then, sleep tight, knowing that the Haunted Mansion stands not only as a symbol of near perfect ride design and theming, but also as a symbol of what can happen. When you get a bunch of people together who can't agree on a single thing. <laughs> Truth. There you go. Fair. Good job. Very good. That was detailed. Yeah, dude. That was great. Thanks, man. Yeah, they couldn't agree. Until on we anything. find more stories. I have yeah. I mean, I, I cut a lot of stuff and then there's there's also a, a lot of cool stuff out there about how the effects work, and I thought that might be a fun show. Maybe next year. That'd be cool if we could get an yeah. interview of somebody talking about like that kind of stuff. I don't know who. I don't know but. who either. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it's neat. I don't know. I like it. I, I like hearing how things develop. You know, I was sort of really enjoy trying to like reverse engineer ideas or jokes or whatever. And 
this to me is very interesting because it starts off with sort of nothing like what it ended up being, but then sort of is also. And I just think that's creative process, but we don't really think about that. We think of like, Oh, they made this ride. They, this is, they wrote it out and then they did the thing. Mm -hmm. Did not happen like that. And it makes sense that this is our fourth show on this topic because Mm -hmm. it did go through so many different renditions. And there is just a lot of, there's a lot of, details in the weeds that you can get into on this yeah mm-hmm. so absolutely i think it's cool probably more so than yeah. than most rides yeah honestly yeah absolutely yeah um okay you can find us on social media you guys facebook twitter uh, instagram tiktok which maybe i'll pull a clip of this show i don't know we'll see i'm, I'm doing some things on tiktok and we're trying to have fun over there if you want to support the show go to etsy.com slash shop slash coveyers and buy a bunch of cool shirts Patreon.com slash ears up, of course, is the best way. Uh, come on, sign on as a Patreon supporter of this show. You keep the show on the air. You keep this show on the air. You keep Supreme Resort on the air. You keep In Depth on the air. You keep Bantha Milk on the air. You keep Scraping the Vault on the air. It's five and Secret Show. It's six shows that you're helping to support um, only Patreon supporters. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you get an Etsy discount and you get an RSS feed to the show that has no commercials in it. Except oh, nice. the 21st Amendment and uh, concierge. You got to sit through those. Sorry. Otherwise, no commercial. You don't have to deal with it. Nice. That alone is worth five bucks a month. Sorry. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, Discord. Come hang out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm tired. Yeah, I get that. That's it. That was a long show. What do you guys think? Fun? That was fun. Yeah. That was great. Yes. God, next week we got to do the story. I'm so excited. It's my favorite show that we do. It's just... I don't love doing it because it's very stressful, but um, I really love the show. I'm very excited for it. And it's a secret show. So we're going to have to come up with a Halloween drink. God, Which, it's a you know secret what? show. I'll do it. I'll, I'll figure out the drink and I'll send out the um, ingredient or the, the recipe. recipe. I'll try and do that like soon so that we can all have it. There you go. Like soon. Like soon. Yeah. yeah. She's used to hearing about how the Haunted Mansion was scheduled. So she's like, oh, I can... Yeah. Whenever it's fine. By soon, I mean like the day before. I mean, it just seems, it does seem like this show has just come out of nowhere. It does. (laughs) Absolutely. Even though it's, and you know what? It's Terrence's fault. Uh Uh-huh. It is. Because we rescheduled it like 400 times. It was going to be be the 27th, (laughs) but in order to get Terrence on, we moved it for him. That's right. So it is his fault, but it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. Probably. Maybe. I'll, I'll let you know on the 14th. He may I even see him be every in, day. He, he, he may even be in person. We don't even know. I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, that, it'd be cool, but I doubt it. That would be awesome. And then I would make the drinks for you. See, there's the incentive. Oh, well, there you go. Right, Bev? I'm looking <laughs> at you. Because you could come in person, too. I could. Yeah. And then I'll make your drink. I could. I could. <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And until uh, next time. We'll see you in the parks.